Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Well, another week has rolled around, and we're thankful to God that you're joining us. We're on the subject of how to practice communion with God, and the primary way to do so is through prayer. And so I want to examine with you what may seem like a very strange text of Scripture when speaking on the subject of prayer, but I assure you that it unlocks the very purpose and key to prayer. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 41 through 43. It's the account of our Lord resurrecting Lazarus. It says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. There are many biblical injunctions and prerequisites to prayer. You must pray according to the will of God. You must ask in Jesus' name, which means you're asking as his representative. You must have clean hands and a pure heart. You must believe. And of course, there are others, but these prerequisites are just that. They're prerequisites or preconditions for true prayer, but they are not the basis of prayer. If I don't pray according to the will of God, I will not be heard. If I don't ask as Jesus's representative, asking what he would ask for, then I will not be heard. If I don't have clean hands and a pure heart, my confession of sin is not up to date, then I will not be heard. These conditions of prayer are necessary, but listen carefully, they are not the foundation and reason for prayer. There is one thing that must be real to you if prayer is real. And without this reality, well, your prayer life will be absent of reality. You'll not pray and be able to pray without ceasing as we are commanded to do. I've already addressed in our previous episode the motivation of our hearts to pray. And that is our love for God. And because God is our resource, prayer is the provision of our needs. But there is a foundation for these motives that propel us to pray. In our next podcast, I'll share what that foundation is. But today, before I address what that one thing is, I want to deal with prayer as a discipline in the life of Jesus. I want us to see Jesus' habit of prayer. Our text is one of the very few recorded prayers of Jesus. But we know he prayed, and he prayed much, and he was very disciplined at prayer because of certain texts like Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. And then there is Mark 1.35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, 
he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Or how about this one? And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray, Mark 6.46. And then there's Luke 5.16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Did you hear that one? He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And of course, Luke 9.18, the Bible says, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And then there's Luke 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Well, I think you get the idea. Jesus prayed, and he prayed much. It was the routine of his life. He practiced prayer. Now, this is amazing when you stop and think about who he is. He is the sinless Son of God. And so my question is, why would deity concealed in humanity need to pray? Why would the sinless, perfect, obedient Son of God need prayer? The the answer is not only for our example, but As a man, he depended upon his relationship with God, and prayer was the means of practicing that relationship. If Jesus, who was sinless and perfectly obeyed, needed prayer, how much more you and I? And this leads me to say, as disciples of Jesus, we too must pray much. But... We don't pray much, do we? In fact, if we took an inventory of the amount of time you spent weekly in prayer, you wouldn't want it to be shown on the large screen at church, would you? No, we don't pray as we ought to. But I want to hold out to you an encouragement that will induce prayer. Despite your past failures in prayer, God offers a new beginning in prayer. I certainly have failed in prayer, as most of us. My track record in praying isn't better than anyone else's. Oh, I pray regularly, but oftentimes when I pray, I I have to confess it's hard to pray. Therefore, I'm asking you that you listen with a heart that says, although I may not have prayed well in the past, oh God, give me a new beginning. And so let's you and I leave those things that are behind and press forward to God through prayer. Now, why must we pray? We already acknowledged that Jesus prayed, and if we are to be his disciples and live as he lived, well, we must do as he did. Because he prayed much, we ought to pray much. But there are more reasons than this. First is the very importance of prayer. It's the greatest thing we can do for both God and man. Now, let me explain what I mean. You all know that prayer can do much for mankind, but what do I mean when I say prayer is the greatest thing you can do for God? Well, I don't mean that God needs your prayers. He doesn't need me to talk to Him. In fact, He's already told us before we ask Him for one thing, He already knows what we need. God doesn't need our prayers. God deserves our prayers, but there's a reason beyond that, and it's this. 
Your prayers and prayer life say something about your love life with Jesus. Prayer is important because prayer is an actual reflection of your love for God. Now, we've covered that before. But there's a second reason of importance here. And that is because God in His sovereign wisdom has chosen to do very little in His kingdom's advancement without the prayers of the church. Without the prayers of Christians, the kingdom of God does not advance. So we can say, more happens as a result of prayer than by mere ministry. Today, most churches specialize in ministry and not prayer. We educate ourselves, train ourselves, and come up with programs in order to do the work of the ministry while forgetting that the most important work in ministry is prayer. God can do more in answer to your prayer than all your labor. Without prayer, whatever you do will not work. Many years ago, a few missionaries in Korea decided to meet together in order to pray daily at noon. Because nothing was happening, their ministry seemed dead, and so they decided to pray. They prayed for an entire month. But at the end of the first month of prayer, a brother proposed that since nothing had happened as a result of the prayer meetings, that they should be canceled. He suggested that everyone can pray at home. But thankfully, no one agreed with him, but insisted they spend even more time in prayer each day. And for four months, they continued the daily prayer meeting when, without warning, the revival they had prayed for came. The Holy Spirit was poured out in power upon them. Several churches experienced conviction of sin, and their services were interrupted by people broken over their sin, weeping and confessing their sins. For example, A church leader stood up during the evening service, and he confessed that he had been appointed to administrate a widow's estate, and he stole $100 from the estate. Immediately, conviction of sin like fire ran through the audience, and that service ended 2 o'clock in the morning. God had become real. His presence was felt by all. The result was that many churches experienced repentance and revival, which led to many sinners being converted. The general public was awakened to this phenomenon, and large crowds started to attend the local churches that had been impacted by the revival. Those who came to the services, many of them came to make fun of the Christians, but as soon as they entered into the building, they were gripped by a sense of fear and ended up in prayer themselves. One of those who was piqued with interest and attended a worship service was a leader of a gang. He came under such a conviction of sin and was converted that he immediately left the church and gave himself up to the authorities. He confessed his crimes to them. Well, the official was astonished and didn't know what to do with him. He said to the new convert, you have no accuser, and yet you accuse yourself. We have no law in Korea to meet your case, and so he released him and sent him away. One of the missionaries who was in the initial prayer meeting said to his fellow workers, listen carefully, it paid well to have spent several months in prayer. For when God gave the Holy Spirit, he accomplished more in half a day than all the missionaries together could have accomplished in half a year. 
more than 2,000 people were converted in less than two months. Do you see what I mean when I say that prayer is the most important thing you can do for God and people? One of my most favorite quotes about prayer is from the 19th century Baptist preacher A.J. Gordon. Here's what he said. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is important because this is the means by which God has chosen to do anything in and through you. That's true individually, and it's true corporately. This is the means God has ordained. There's nothing more mysterious than prayer, and there's nothing more God-exalting than prayer. When God moves in response to prayer, oh, it's obvious. It's obvious it was not the hand of man, nor man's cleverness, programs, or ingenuity that brought about the answer. It was God's gracious response to the cries of his people. That's why prayer is important. It exalts and glorifies God. A second reason is Jesus and the apostles commanded prayer. Jesus expects you to pray. And when you pray, he said, Matthew 6, 5. In this manner, therefore pray, Matthew 6, 9. Therefore pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation, Matthew 26, 41. And how about Mark eleven twenty four? Therefore I say, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And then there's Luke 18, 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Oh, my friend, Jesus expects us to pray. The apostles expected us to pray as well. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And then he told the Thessalonians, Pray without ceasing. Now, why all these commands to pray? Because it's important. God knew the opposition you and I would face to keep us from prayer. He knew there would be forces trying to keep you from praying. Therefore, he commands prayer often as a reminder of its importance and our need for it. Therefore, because of these reasons, we must develop the godly habit of prayer. We, you and I, must do all we can to develop this habit. This is what spiritual disciplines are all about. You practice them until they become a normal routine part of your life. How can we do this with prayer? How, how can prayer become a much more normal aspect of your everyday life? Well, I believe every Christian wants to pray better. We want to pray more than we do, and we want to pray more effectual prayers than we do. So how do we do that? and develop this godly habit like our Lord Jesus. Well, let me suggest, first of all, establish a regular time for prayer. For Jesus, his regular time was to get up before the disciples and get alone and pray. 
At other times, he would go off somewhere and pray until late at night and often until the wee hours of the morning. But he established regular times of prayer in his own life, and you must do the same. Now, why? Why be legalistic, as some would criticize me today? Well, for one simple reason. We have to fight the natural fleshly tendency to not pray. This is a function of spiritual disciplines. God's grace is working in and through you to inspire, motivate, and empower these disciplines. It isn't legalistic when God gets involved. So why go to the habit of establishing a daily time of prayer, especially in the light of 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says, We are to pray without ceasing. Can't I just pray throughout the day, sprinkle my life with these little prayers as I go about walking with God? Well, of course. But Jesus also said, quote, Bowen, you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who's in secret will reward you openly. You see, God commanded private time as well as continual prayer throughout the day. A life of prayer requires both. I know most Christians have some form of prayer in their daily lives. We do send up prayer as needs come to us. When a prayer arises during our day or we may hear a song that motivates us to praise Him and thank Him, we pray. But how many of you begin a day without an established time to get alone with God. Oh, friend, it's essential if you're going to develop a life of prayer and for prayer to become as normal as breathing, that you develop a regular time and practice it. There's something about getting alone with God at a routine time. God is certainly worthy of that, don't you think? If you want to talk with your pastor, well, you schedule a time with him. You you just don't waltz into his office. You schedule a time because his schedule and your schedules are busy. And so, in courtesy and respect to him, you call and make an appointment. But if you call and arrange an appointment with him, then it seems to me that because he's willing to take you and to see you, He's saying that you are important to meet with him, so he's going to put that on his calendar and guard the time and reserve it just for you. For years, I blocked off my entire Mondays to take the day off and spend with my wife. I guarded that time jealously because, well, she's important to me. If you don't make room on the calendar for God, the calendar will never make room for God. If God is important to us, then we should establish a time with Him and jealously guard it. Secondly, establish a place. Now, why an appointed place, a place where you always go at that appointed time? Well, the first reason is to be in a place that provides quiet and solitude. That's what we see in the life of our Lord. He left the disciples alone, and he went to a solitary place where he and God could be alone together. Now, that can pose a problem for some of you who live in busy homes with lots of people where there may not be spare rooms or closets where you can go and pray alone. But that doesn't matter. 
You can still have a place where you get alone with God. Don't let that be an excuse and hinder you. No, even Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, she had 17 children in her brood. She established a place to pray alone with God when it was her time to be alone with Jesus. She just took her apron, draped it over her head, and that was her prayer closet, her time alone with God. And every child knew when they saw their mother with her apron over her head, they were to leave her alone and be quiet. You need an appointed place at an appointed time. And there's another reason why that place becomes so important. Well, it's because it's identified. That place is identified with praying. When you're there, that's what you do, and that's all you do. Therefore, when you are there, it helps to put you in the mind of prayer. It's a built-in routine of prayer. And it's these kinds of things that helps us to discipline us, to make prayer a normal part of our daily lives. Now, let me give you a third suggestion how you can build this spiritual discipline into your life called prayer. And that is never go into a place of prayer without your Bible. The Bible is your prayer manual, the prayer book of the Christian. I've referred to this many times, and in future podcasts, I'm going to explain how to use the Bible as a prayer book and guide. George Mueller said he spent the first 10 years of his Christian life not praying with his Bible and found it very difficult to even get into the spirit of prayer until one day he took his Bible and began to pray the Scriptures back to God. He said it was amazing what took place. He said things he knew he should pray for that day would be in the Scriptures and always seemed to fit the needs. And then there were things that would come up in the Scriptures that he would pray, and he didn't have any knowledge that there was a problem or need for, but God did, and God would work. He called this getting his soul happy in the Lord. Dear friends, I would wholeheartedly recommend that to you because I found the same to be true. It's amazing what happens when you pray through the Scriptures and let them become the guide by which you pray. God responds to that when your heart responds to it. Well, these are some things you can do to develop a godly habit just as the Lord Jesus. For our Lord, prayer was communion with God, His Father, And as his disciples, we must live as our Lord. That's what discipleship is all about. The mentor teaching by instruction and example how to live. Our mentor has taught us how to pray. A true disciple wants to be more like Jesus than they want to be like themselves. Now that to me is profound. If you are a true disciple... You want to be more like Jesus than you want to be like you. Now, some of us are quite happy with ourselves. May I say, too happy with ourselves. We would like to tweak ourselves a little bit here or there, but basically we're quite comfortable in our skin. But whoever is happy with who they are, as they are, well, I'm not for sure they're a true disciple. Anything that doesn't look like Jesus, a true disciple, will want to throw that characteristic overboard. 
may even make him or her nauseous because he or she desires much to be like Jesus. That's the goal. That's why Jesus is in you. He's living his life through you. So the characteristics of his personality comes through your personality. George MacDonald said, quote, Instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, ask yourself whether you have this day done one thing because he said do it or once abstained because he said don't do it. It's simply absurd to say you believe or even want to believe in him if you don't do anything he tells you. End of quote. To be like Jesus means to live according to his commandments, not because the commandments are a duty to fulfill but instead because they're signposts that tell us how he would do things. The commandments are not some legal responsibility. They're simply indicators of what Jesus did in his life and what you're to do in yours. Therefore, the Christian should not be weighed down with the Lord's commandments and feel them to be a burden. He or she should delight in them. Do you? Do you delight in the Word of God? Do you read it to find out what Jesus would do if he were living your life? That's what a Christian, a true disciple, does. He reads this book to see Jesus so he or she can be like him. And to be like him means prayer, prayer as a regular part of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, quote, Only those who are obedient believe, and only those who believe are obedient. Faith is only real in obedience, end of quote. You know, the best quote of all, though, don't you? It's not a preacher or even an apostle. It's Jesus Christ himself. He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. In other words, here's the goal. God's goal for you is to be like Jesus. A disciple's not above his teacher, said our Lord, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. And so I ask you, are you like Jesus? Is prayer a non-negotiable part of your life? Well, that's all the time we have today, but before I leave you, if you have any questions, please send us an email to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web, realtruthmatters.com. Please give us your name. We'll not use your full name if ever your question is chosen, but we do want your name for one reason. I, I want to give one of you a signed copy of my new book, The Fight of Faith. Well, on behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, thank you for tuning in, and may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. <laughs>